Hello and welcome to Story Hacker Series 2. I'm Helen Jewell, Creative Director at The Old Market. And I'm Chris Thorpe-Tracy of Border Crossing and Lo-Fi Arts. We have survived. <laughs> I'm happy to say we're back at The Old Market, or Tom as we affectionately call it. We're back with a second Story Hacker series, only three years after the first series. Something, not sure what that was, <laughs> threw us all off course for a little bit, like so many other arts organisations. Helen, can you uh, sort of explain or give some context to TomTech and Story Hacker, what, they, what these lovely things are? Of course. So at the Old Market, we launched TomTech six years ago in order to better support makers working at the intersection of performing and theatre arts and immersive technology. We wanted to explore how tech can free the narrative potential of a show rather than hinder it and what we need to do to stay relevant to both our current audiences and future generations. So then what does it involve? What actually happens? So it's a programme that mixes labs, industry training, commissioning and public installations. It's vital for us that this exploration of emergent tech is accessible to everyone. During the lockdown of the past two years, with the partnership of the Hera Arts and Wellbeing Consortium, we were able to continue our TomTech labs by taking them online. We trained artists to use new kit and explore new modes of working, with a particular focus on accessibility, tackling inequality of opportunity, mentorship, connection and community, and health and wellbeing. Um, one of the offers was training artists in how to use light form projectors, right? So Thomas, our special guest for this first episode, was the mentor for that programme? He was our brilliant mentor, yes. Lightform is a device that auto-scans the environment, like a stage set or a room, to create a high-resolution mesh, which you can easily layer with visuals and effects to create an augmented reality mapped video. These units enable us to projection map on a much smaller, less expensive scale, which makes it useful for many different kinds of live show, different artists and modalities, and really useful for venues like us at the small to mid scale. In many ways, I guess emergent tech could get accused of accelerating isolation or encouraging divisiveness. But the projects that have come out of your labs have all been about human connection. Yeah, they really have. How to tour visual memories to libraries and care homes. How to connect and reach people on their streets with exciting street projections during lockdown. This tech has the potential to connect us at a time when we felt more isolated and vulnerable than ever before. We'll let Thomas talk about that in the interview. He's an absolute expert in exploring the potential of mixed reality and emergent technologies to draw out our essential humanity. Well, let's dive into your interview with Thomas Buckley. Let's do that. For the first in our new series of podcasts, I have the wonderful Thomas Buckley here beside me. Thomas is an alumni fellow of the Royal Shakespeare Company and uses both digital and sensory mediums to propose new ways we can archive and share our social histories. Tom and Tom have been working together for many years now and we are huge fans of Thomas's work. Tom, so lovely to have you on Story Hacker. Thanks so much. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit more about you, um, what you've been up to over the last year or so? And what have you been working on with Art House Jersey? Absolutely. That was such a great introduction. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> um, I'm really interested in technology and I'm really interested in humanity and just 
listening to you talk is basically kind of my motive really is to draw those things really close together i think we can't really have a world where technology is moral without it being seen as human i think the bigger gap we have between those things the more danger there is so all of my work really is about highlighting or giving a voice to people that aren't often seen in emergent technologies um so the example I've given before, which I didn't realise was going to get printed in a paper, was that I'm not making work about people who feature in iPod adverts, doing gorgeous dancing things. I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in people who don't often get in the spotlight, older people, people who are isolated. So my work with Outhouse Jersey specifically is about uh, reaching out to people who are in care home settings or use befriending charities or older people isolation charities being paired with those and hearing their stories and then working with them to recreate that as something an audience can experience. That all sounds quite vague and abstract, so I'm going to say a little bit more about that. Please do. <laughs> that really sounds amazing. Please do. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in how we can take those stories and tell them in a different way than what we're used to. Um, so I've spent time in archives and libraries and I think those aren't often the best ways for us to connect to another person. They're a great way to get information. Mm. Um, they're a great way to find out dates and names and telephone numbers, but they're not so great to know how someone's mother smelt. And that's the bit of humanity that I'm fascinated in, those kind of ephemeral and close-held moments that I think is how we connect to other people. So in my work with older and isolated people, I'll collect those memories and then work to make them a outcome with um, sensory collaborators. So instead of a book, I might make a shoebox which smells like a cup of tea and you can sit down and listen to someone tell you about, I don't know, their favourite time from their childhood. These kind of objects that I make or the situations that I make are meant to be surprising. They're meant to be ultra accessible. You don't need white gloves on to go and handle an artefact. You can just kind of look through a keyhole or answer a telephone and, and connect to someone is the idea. So that's a very vague and roundabout way of talking about the kind of stuff that I do with Outhouse Jersey. That sounds very pertinent to what we like to do at Tom Tech as well. Can you explain <clears throat> a little bit about how you collaborate with sensory artists to create those worlds? There's a few things that I think Sense does when you combine it with emergent technology. One of those things is ground you. So a lot of the times I think of my work as like a double punch. First of all, I give you like wonder, oh, here's augmented reality, there's a ballerina in a cigar box, wonder. But I'm always cautious about wonder for wonder's sake and where does that go? And especially when we're thinking about human stories and connection, for me, sense is a thing that then grounds us. So yes, here's wonder, here's something magic, lean in, but then touch or scent or taste or something really tangible that kind of grounds you and lets you relate to it physically. Especially scent is so, so powerful. You can't not smell something and the reaction you have to scent is instinctive. Um, we react to it based on the oldest part of our brain. You'll actually emote to scent before you're aware you've emoted to it. So for example, when I smell cut grass, I think of my dad every time and I never won't do that. And that's kind of like the secret power. If a photographer could take a photo and knew every time that the person who saw that would react to it immediately instinctively, that would be like a golden ticket. And we have this power with scent. You, you can't help but emote and feel when you, when you smell something. And you also kind of can't close your eyes to it. You can't not smell it. So 
for me, it's a really, really powerful way to give someone wonder and then say, okay, now come with me on this journey. Um, you've leaned in and now listen to what I'm going to whisper in your ear. So that for me is why it's really important to work with scent. But I work with all senses really, so I work with taste as well. There's a story that I like to tell about um, a project that I did with Outhouse Jersey a few years ago, looking at people who lived through the Nazi occupation. And basically I'd heard a story in advance about a woman who, when she was younger, was living through the occupation and was actually starving. So she went out onto the road and pulled tar from the road and started eating it as if it was toffee. So heartbreaking, the most heartbreaking story. And I thought, this is just, I need to meet this person. I have to go and talk to her. So um, went over to Jersey, met with her, now aged 86, went to her house. We had a cup of tea and a biscuit and another biscuit. And I said, look, we need to talk, but I've heard this story. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? And even at 86, she still called it toffee. And, she'd, and she showed me how like, you know, the, the toffee never hurt us, it doesn't hurt you. And she showed how she'd pull this toffee, this tarmac off the road and roll it between her fingers, like this little ball and, and eat it. And it's kind of occurred to me that the story's not sad to her at all. The story's about having something precious as a child. And that meaning gets revealed to us when we think about the senses, I think. Just showing like how she would roll it between her fingers, the touch element, tactility of that, kind of gave a new, a new meaning to it. Thinking about how we could communicate this kind of new reading to an audience, because any way that you share that story through like, sometimes I call them cognitive mediums, but written or spoken or things where we have to think about it, I think it's always going to come across sad, which is not, that's not honest, that's almost dishonest to make it sad, because to her it's not sad. Mm. So when we... Um, presented this to an audience we actually made toffee that tasted like tarmac that sounds interesting wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I actually quite liked it you liked it um, so we made we made this kind of tarmac toffee um, we made a big theatrical deal out of it we got these long sticks and we'd spin it off this kind of slick tray and it would be this kind of sticky glob that would pull up use projection to kind of hit it so it would kind of look like it was bubbling almost and it moved from this really sad thing to this like high theatre exotic dining experience where we had people kind of with these long wooden sticks tasting this globule of sticky tarmac toffee and it became an, an item that was precious and fun and important and revered and all the things that I could feel from that woman's storytelling got moved into this new experience and it wasn't about a sad thing that we read about in an archive about the occupation it was about a little girl having something precious wow and that's why i love working with the senses and sensory makers because i think it reveals new truths you're getting a reading that comes out of our messy human bodies and not our lying cheating human brains Absolutely fast tracks you to the kind of essential humanity of something. Yeah, and there's also a distance there, right? Like if we're talking about, I'm really interested in this mix between sense and tech and the way sense, I think, can moralise technology. At the moment, there's a big distance between those two things, but I think there's a big distance as well in what we experience and what we share of our experience. So I might go to Thought Park and have a terrible time, but my Instagram post is going to make it look sick. Yes. So like, 
<laughs> so there's a big gap there and I think we're so used to self-curating and presenting, it's all very presentational. At the same time that people were kind of eating tarmac toffee, we, we did several experiments that we presented to people. There's lots of stories about um, how children would behave with Nazi soldiers on the island. The Nazis would give them sweets and they take the sweets but they'd remove the top one because that's the one the Nazi had touched. Mm. And there's lots of ideas around guilt. And to kind of tell that story, we made a, a cocktail, which was tasted like boiled sweets. Um, but we covered the glass in sticky sugar and grass. So when you drank it, your hands would get coated in grass and, and sugar and it would feel awful. Mm. That's such an unpleasant feeling. We kind of all remember that being a child, right? Like going out and like getting sticky and feeling gross. And for me, that's, that's a more true way to talk about maybe guilt from taking those sweets or the complex emotions which you can think and think about but also you could just feel it and have it close to your body. There's a quote that I read this morning that I can't for the life of me remember but it was <laughs> encapsulated and I wish I could remember it because it was so pertinent to this. It's something about not putting someone else's story in your own kind of frame of reference. The senses being so true to a story as opposed to the, the contrived sort of structure yeah. that we put on other people's story. Yeah. What's the connection between sort of emergent technologies um, and the senses for you? There's the very practical connection of sometimes I talk about my work as being immersive theatre and both those things exist in immersive theatre. People who work with senses and people who work with emergent technologies. There's that quite practical sense. In a lot of my work I'm using emergent technologies to build a world or transport us or build that sense of wonder and sense can always contribute to that and add to that. Because for me it is that kind of grounding, it is that here's wonder and now be held down by you know something very um, human and something that your body becomes an instrument for I think like I think they work together because they're quite different and they kind of rationalise each other in a way. They're great to balance against each other. Um, that yeah, technology can be wonderful and sense makes us feel human. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important when we think about technology. I really, I love working with technology. I'm fascinated by it, but I think so often technology does not benefit those it could benefit most in the best way. It benefits the people who will buy it. And that's why I kind of, I don't like the way we use technology at the moment. I think it really supports bad systems. I think it's it's really important that we start questioning that and looking at that. I mean, have you seen the new uh, Google phone advert, the Google Pixel? I haven't. Where it says, um, the, 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 their tagline is like, it's, it shows a picture of this beautiful scene and there's someone in the background who shouldn't be there. So they just click them and they disappear. Oh. And, and the tagline is, um, your memory is as perfect as you remember them. And I just think that's that suddenly to have that consumer power is really interesting. The fact that we're not even just curating and presenting and like highlighting our lives on social media, but we're now like even in our phones, in our private items, we need to curate to ourselves. That is absolutely terrifying. Isn't it dystopian? Absolutely terrifying. But, it's, but fascinating. And the fact that, you know, technology is coming closer to us. I did, I worked with them. Um, Magic Leap, which is a spatial computing augmented reality headset. And that's got like eight cameras. Two of them look directly into the back of your eyes. It can guess where you're looking. You know, we've got consumer technology that can check your mood. Are you happy? Are you sad? 
it only would take me an hour to make a program that would change colours based on what it thinks my mood is. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, and because the human condition is messy. It's gloriously messy. Yeah. And to be able to kind of curate, as you say, a memory mm. or... Oh, it is absolutely terrifying. It's kind of amazing. There's huge power in that. But I just think we're not putting that power where it needs to be. If you just shifted all of that focus away from how do we get people to spend money and how do we get people to idolise each other through beautiful curations, I think there's so much potential in it. I think Sense can do that, mm. I think, by showing some of these technologies as things that tell our stories, but also tell the stories of those that we don't often hear, so those who are isolated. I think it rephrases the conversation and says, it's not for you to edit some twat out of the back of your thought park picture. Use this technology to support people. This technology is telling the story of someone's childhood who you might not you know, interact with usually, who might be older in a care home. That's where we should place the technology. So I think, I think Sense can do that by telling that story and then drawing us close to it with Scent because we have to emote to it. So you're prioritising the story of someone you wouldn't really speak to and then lending a smell which will ground you immediately yeah. and make you feel that visceral connection. So I think quite often technology actually separates us and when we include scent, I think it's, we've got opportunities there to close that gap. Absolutely. <laughs> and it goes back, doesn't it, to that democratising that new tech space is mm. so incredibly important mm. and, and they are incredible vehicles for empathy. Mm if we choose to use them that way. Mm. So Tom, just from your point of view, how did you feel the Lightform Labs worked and how specifically um, were they successful? I loved them. For, for me, it was such an exciting opportunity to work with people who hadn't worked this kind of technology before. A lot of people not worked with projection before. Um, and I've been working in projection for sort of years and years now. The thing that was sort of most interesting is that I see a lot of the same kind of images or ideas or scale even with projection. Big architectural stuff, lots of lights, neon, flashy, big box projection. And like one of the first ones that we did um, worked with a fantastic artist, Jess Starnes, who hadn't used digital that much. And when presented with a projector, she actually went really, really tiny and she projected into um, beach pebbles. And she projected these images of walks that she would do on Google Maps. And it just became the most fragile, delicate, wonderful little thing that wasn't about fire and flashing lights. And it could have only been made by her. For me, that kind of set the tone for Lightform Lab. And it was about, you don't have an agency, you don't have a client. You can be spontaneous and creative and personal. And they have been since, and it's been fantastic to work on them. I thought Jess's work had an intimacy about it that you, you don't see in that kind of world. And I think that is, one of the most important things about the labs is mm. that we're not working with a pressure of outcome, although there's some beautiful outcomes and mm. some really in incredible work that comes out of them, but having space and time to play. Absolutely. And to work in a personal, yeah. in a personal way like that. And I mean, there's such a barrier to projection. I mean, it can often be huge budgets, huge amounts of planning, teams and teams of people. So there's no, I, I don't often see like much cheekiness in it. Like, I remember there was an amazing piece by um, Rachel Barnett-Jones, which kind of wasn't really a piece, but she just projected herself sneezing on a tissue box. And that's so cheeky. So when you pull a tissue out, you just see a picture of her sneezing projected. That's so cheeky and so fun. And that's not something that's made space for in projection at all. Absolutely. It's just fantastic. So I, yeah, Lightform Lab, here to stay. 
innovative, great fun and sensitive. I loved it. Oh, lovely to hear. In your project so far, you've obviously been working with a whole range of different people. Mm -hmm. um, how do they react to the incorporation of emergent tech with your work? How have your collaborators responded? Mm. Yeah, great question. Very differently, um, I think, based on their different practices. So I've just come back from a residency which I ran um, with Outhouse Jersey on Jersey, and that was really about who can we put in a space together and what collaborations will form and what interesting things will come out. So it was myself, um, a classically trained uh, ballet dancer and contemporary dancer, a chemist, a theatre writer and director, a perfumer, a mixologist, a, a miniaturist and sculptor, um, so a really varied um, group of people. And for some people, the potential is really exciting, I think. So like um, with dance, just seeing yourself tracked on a screen, that kind of digital doubling becomes instantly fascinating, I think, for a dancer. Whereas um, working with um, Kate, who I work with a lot, who's a sculptor and miniaturist, very considered about how she's so used to building tactility and that translation of screen to real life is kind of not, it's almost jarring. So I think there's definitely some practices where it's a real draw to work with that kind of tech and others where actually it's a bit, there's a gap there, which people maybe don't want to jump all the time. Yeah. But the first reaction is, is again, wonder and potential, which tech does really well. Yeah. It's about making magic. And I think it's those other practices that get drawn into then ground that. If you could have your takeaway learnings from the projects mm -hmm. that you've done for in Jersey in particular, what would they be? The takeaway learnings would be, I mean, I've learned that this kind of work is still really in its infancy. So that's great because that means there's lots of room to play through these residencies and through these small um, projects, experiments. We can take some big swings and try things out, which is really exciting. I mean, eating tarmac toffee, mad completely mad but we we're able to do it because we're kind of making the rules up as we go along which is fantastic um so our learning has been um luckily there's no precedence you can kind of get people to do what you want which is really exciting um quite often we've had really willing audiences or really willing testers and that's a, a real advantage because people don't come with preconceived ideas of what it's going to be i think a, a really great takeaway has been about how to get those people to collaborate with tech and collaborate with how to get sensory people to in particularly collaborate with emerging technology and I think there's not a huge understanding about what emerging technology is for people who are in those fields yeah. you know what is the difference between VR or AR yeah what does it mean so I understand that VR is a solitary experience but I understand a projection map space can be a communal experience but just introducing someone else to that idea of do we want someone to be alone in a moment or do we want them to be collaborative and together and communal? That kind of shared language and shared understanding, I think, is really important. Uh, yeah, that's a fascinating space, actually, isn't it? In terms of here at Tom, we've really explored over the last sort of five years how when a medium is most powerful mm. and our whole point of being is human connectivity and mm. bringing people together in a space. 
But some of the most powerful responses we've had to work has been when people have been on their own journey in their own space and time, mm. in a VR headset, for instance. Yeah. Even now, so many years in, we're still finding out about which medium to use mm. in, in certain circumstances. There's an intimacy with the work that you do, Thomas, that, mm. that is really, really poignant and really beautiful. Yeah, and I think you're, you're using tech in such an interesting way in the way that you communicate. Do you have any insights for other artists who might want to go into this sphere of work? The thing that I love about it is that it's kind of all up for grabs at this stage and there aren't so many predefined spaces or silos for things. It's quite fun to cross-pollinate at the moment. So one of my biggest bits of advice or, I don't know, um, encouragement would be to find a collaborator who's not like you and that could be that they work in some different field or they have different life experiences or they'll bring something that isn't just your point of view. Um, I think for me that's been one of the most exciting things about working in this space. A lot of the stuff with tech can be quite expensive but I actually use loads of old tech really often and it looks more magic than the new tech. I'm a huge fan of a Pepper's Ghost. I don't know if people know what that is but go and Google it. Wow. It's one of my top secrets. Maybe we'll cut that out of the podcast and I'll leave it in. You can have it. Um, Pepper's Ghost, go and Google that. It's a way to make things pop up on stage or in biscuit tins. That is old school. And I've done both, but 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 it looks like magic. And it's it's kind of AR without the glasses. And you can do tech without spending three grand. You can do it with an old CD. So maybe don't get scared by the phrase tech. You know, it's up to, your in, in, it's up to you how you kind of talk about that. Free software, the tools are out there if you look for them. So I think my, um, I don't know, the bit on the inside the birthday card is work with someone who's not like you and don't be scared and cut up old CDs. And it's a brave new world. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) What happens next? Next? um, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about what happens next. So I might skirt around this a little bit. Okay. Let me think. More research, more play, more discovery, more exploration, but also really working over a long period with those um, groups that I'm interested in. So I'm really interested in isolated older communities and I'm also aware that there's a role for a back and forth with those groups when making this kind of work that actually it's not my role to go into a care home, sweep up some lovely stories and run away again, but actually what happens if that's a conversation that happens over two weeks or a month or six months and we invite actually sensory makers in into periods of that space. So we bring in the smell of the sea and we sit in the room and say, how, do we make this? how does this make us feel? What does this remind us of? Or we bring in a dancer and we say, you know, how do you walk? We imitate the walk or we might, you know, how would you move if you were this moment in your life? And what is the role of expressive arts in generating these kind of stories? I'm kind of aware that um, it's not a new thing for immersive practices and technologies and sensory mediums to be used in archival contexts. I believe what is new is actually that they're used at the inception. So we don't ornament story, but we actually devise story and we co-devise that story with community. And that's the bit that I'm interested in. So it's responsive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's responsive, it's collaborative, and we build it together. So if we work with a participant or a group over six months and they, they use perfume and taste and dance and chemistry, who knows, get safety goggles on the people. But if that happens over six months in the creation of the memory, what does that memory then become? Is it 
fatter and healthier and does it more than we read something we read the smell out of it put the smell on but actually do that a different way and does that reveal new truths just like the tarmac toffee what else is kind of hidden and honest that can be pulled out through through that kind of working so i think what's next is um chatting to people and smelling things and tasting things and and um finding things that are true such a beautiful way of working and has huge potential for therapeutic applications and also capturing capturing a really human history you know these are human moments captured by mm. your work that are very difficult to put into writing or into history books or into memoirs mm. absolutely beautiful way of working thank you thank you <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this first episode of Story Hacker Series 2. It's been fantastic to have you along. And uh, also, thank you very much, Thomas Buckley, for being a brilliant guest. Ah, oh, Thomas was amazing, wasn't he? Yeah, just superb. So we look forward to interviewing some more incredible people. Uh, we hope you will join us again. And for more information, please do visit our website, theoldmarket.com forward slash tomtech. That's theoldmarket.com forward slash Tom Tech. <laughs> uh, talk to you next time. Thank you very much. See you soon. Oh, oh, oh.